Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Your host, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to the show. It's very low key. It's very low key. We're going for a real mellow vibe, I think. Now that we've moved to BBC4. Now that we've moved to BBC4, yeah, yeah. we've been promoted. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> Do you know, I'm not even going to bother editing that. <laughs> Just This is what we have to work with, lovely listener. This is the situation in which we find ourselves. Until Demanzo gives us Until a raise. Until Demanzo gives us a raise, yes, and puts us in our own office where we can afford a goddamn secretary to answer the phone for us. But apparently we don't have any such thing. Do you not want to be Betty Brandt, love? Why? She was Jonah Jameson's secretary. Alright. Oh, okay. I thought I would have been your filthy assistant. You can be your filthy assistant if you want. Well, that was a good start to the show, wasn't it? Very professional. Very, <laughs> Very professional for the first show recorded in 2014. We could have done better. Yeah, story of my life, that dude. <laughs> could have done better. Must do better. See me. C plus, if I'm lucky. Really <laughs> oh, hey! Yeah, no, you just can't get the secretaries or filthy assistants, can you? No, you can't. So much for the low key yeah. <laughs> approach to the show this week. <laughs> We couldn't have planned that if we tried. Do you think he sounds like those chimps we've just been watching? (laughs) Which chimps would there be? He's been just as moody as them. I am not being moody. Can we, should we get on with it? Yeah. We were going to talk about stuff, let's just go to emails. (laughs) We can't top that. Bobby Coakley emailed in on the 2nd of December, so we're a month behind. Only a month. With our emails, but we're working on it. We are working to get you a faster service. On it. As soon as you find a secretary. Yeah. Your, your patronage is important to us. Me? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just doing a voiceover thing. Right. Bobby said, a few points on Spoiler Bane and Sam Raimi. Hey, Copelands. No, we're not Copelands. <laughs> He's Coakley. He is. We're the Leylands. This show is going to be exceptionally professional. Uh, no, no, not yet, no. Here are a few points you brought up whilst answering emails. Stephanie Brown, a.k.a. The Spoiler, became Robin after Tim Drake quit in Robin 150. More specifically, Jack Drake forced Tim to quit after finding the Robin costume and journal in a secret compartment in Tim's closet. What was he doing rummaging through Tim's closet? He was looking for porn. Ah, uh, he was looking for his son's porn yeah. because he doesn't realise that it's all digital. Yeah, how it is. Jack specifically wasn't going to blow the whistle on Bruce Wayne due to how it would hurt Tim's stepmother. Stephanie then became Robin but was fired after not following Batman's orders. Stephanie, as spoiler, was tortured by Black Mask and died of her injuries in war games. The war crime storyline revealed Leslie Tompkins, 
let Stephanie die as a cautionary example to Bruce and anyone else who wanted to follow his crusade. Stephanie also didn't get a memorial case because Dan DiDio seems to like antagonising fans. Then it was revealed, or retconned, that Stephanie had never died. Leslie had faked her death and taken her to Africa for reasons. She became Batgirl for a bit and then the five year timeline happened. The new 52 Stephanie Brown is due to show up in Batman Eternal. Is that the weekly series? Yeah. That's coming out. Stephanie Hash Browns. Stephanie Hash Browns, yeah. (laughs) I can appreciate your annoyance on Bane being kept around after Nightfall, continues Bobby, since Bane had an idiotic reason to want to defeat Batman in the first place. He had nightmares about a giant bat when he was a boy growing up in the prison. Penura Dura on the island of Santa Prisca. But I understand fans wanting to see Bane and Batman face off again when Bane isn't ripped on Venom and Batman isn't so tired he can hardly stand up. In No Man's Land, the two actually discuss matters like adults, with Bane revealing he was working for Lex Luthor in exchange for the island at Santa Prisca. Bane would rather have his own country rather than have another fight with Batman. You're not up to that bit in Arkham Origins, are you? Arkham Origins, no. Batman, who's who's just starting his career and is a urban myth. Yeah, yeah. Bane has known about him for years and has always wanted to beat him. The story in Arkham Origins doesn't really hold up it if doesn't. you examine it too closely, does it? You don't have to look that closely. The story in Arkham Origins doesn't hold up if you've even got a cursory knowledge of story writing. The story in Arkham Origins doesn't hold up if you're playing on it. <laughs> It's not a bad game, though. The graphics are a bit uh, winky. I was getting into it last night, and it was getting quite good. Right. There is something in it which... There's a bit of a plot twist, which would have worked better on me if I didn't know the voice actors in it. Alright, well, I didn't know that, so... Anyway, uh, Bobby continues, the confusion about Doomsday being kept around is similar, but fans also wanted to know where Doomsday came from. More than just a rematch where Superman uses strategy beyond keep hitting Doomsday. It's a pretty good strategy. It is. Oh, it was for the Hulk. Yeah. When you mentioned how elements of Barry Allen's Flash origin was borrowed for Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man movie, I was reminded of how Raimi did the movie Darkman because he couldn't get the rights to The Shadow. Just thought I'd mention that. Keep up the good work, Bobby Copley. I like The Shadow, but I also liked Rain Man. I liked both those films. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for emailing it. Are we the only ones who noticed that The Flash rips off, that Spider-Man rips off The Flash? Or is that, is that common it's knowledge? Just, and as far as we I were know. patting ourselves on our back for something <laughs> that's been common knowledge for years. Yeah. <laughs> All our listeners just sighed and decided to humor us. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time, would it? Well, there is that. <laughs> Chris Franklin's emailed in. Hello, Chris. With Silver Age Part 1. A Sulash here. It, it, it was, yeah. Uh, hello, Leyland. Hello, Christopher. Who mocks the Silver Age? Is this a rhetorical question? Have they no soul, no sense of whimsy? Why the hell are they reading comics, then? It's a very good question. And I think we, we would never mock the Silver Age, apart from when it, you know, deserves mocking. Which none of those stories that we covered did, really. Some did. Well, maybe the Batman ones. Maybe the Batman ones. <laughs> sure, some of the internal logic of the Silver Age stories is downright baffling, continues Chris. And Mark Weisinger's Superman can come off as a superior <laughs> at times, but it was all in fun. Most of the wacky elements were only on the covers, and the stories inside usually made more sense. Although I'd read The Flash's origin elsewhere, my first exposure to Showcase Issue 4 actually came from that same superheroes magazine you have. Comic art dealer Bud Plant offered select issues of the magazine in his catalogue in the late 80s, and I ordered several, including this one. The painted covers alone were worth it, especially in the pre-Alex Ross days when a painting of a superhero was a rare treat. I especially liked the Superman 2 movie cover with Chris Reeve and Zod and crew. But I digress. No, those the superheroes painted covers are actually not all of them are gems. Yeah, there are a couple that are a little bit wonky, but uh, it's still got one of my all-time favourite Batman covers. Is that superheroes one? Mm. The 
Joker's five-way revenge one where it's the Joker at the front and Batman's just like the shadowy figure in the background. I love that cover. I think it's fantastic. Chris continues, DC's Silver Age output and much of its later Golden Age output was plot-heavy, but those plots were usually very dense and would take modern writers a full trade paperback to roll out. Kaniger's stuff tends to be less dense than his Flash successor John Broom, and both were lighter on the verbosity than Gardner Fox, but all knew how to spin a compelling yarn. I agree that Flash has one of the best costumes in comics history. Infantino's Flash and Gil Kane's GL revamp are the epitome of streamlined design, and no amount of tech lines and cross-hatching can improve them. Despite the flourishes of folks like Jim Lee, they remain relatively unchanged today. Infantino's art does look quite a bit different under the grittier inks of Cubert, but I like the combo. I agree it does have an oddly Ditko feel, as Andrew pointed out. Under usual flash inker Joe Giella, the art looked even slicker, and as you said, that was DC's house style, polished to a fine silver sheen. The Turtle was a rather lame foe, but it didn't get in the way of the important stuff, introducing a new Flash. The story still holds up well today. I have to agree with Michael that Avengers number 4 doesn't fur as well under such scrutiny. This isn't Kirby at his best, even early Marvel Kirby. The art seems rushed, and probably was, as Kirby was producing, like, four pages a day back then. The raw energy is still there, and that's all that matters. Cap's shield was never drawn consistently in the Golden Age, and that carries over here. It had many more rings than it does now, and it took Kirby a while to refine it into its classic look, both in Avengers and Tales of Suspense. The story uh, is pretty forgettable, besides the first several pages. In fact, I've seen only those pertinent pages reprinted from time to time. Many of the early Marvel stories were rough around the edges, as Stan and Jack and Ditko, amongst a few others, seemed to be really flying by the seat of their pants. As for Cap not remembering Namor, the Invaders was, of course, a Roy Thomas retcon, one of his first, and he also retconned that the Cap who served in the actual 1940s printed all-winners squad was not Steve Rogers, but one of the many replacements who stood in for the real Cap in actual published Golden Age stories after 1945 and Stan's own Ice Plunge story implant. Good episode, thank you, and I look forward to more Kirby and Gil Kane, two of my favourites. Chris. Well, thank you, Chris. We're, we're, the Silver Age stuff seemed moderately well received. Yeah. Not as much right. email about that as about Doctor Who. I know, yeah. Oh, G.I. Joe. Oh, G.I. Joe. You know, we were talking about the beginning of the comics industry as we know it, though. Mm-hmm. People would rather email about G.I. Joe. Yeah. Apparently that's more interesting. There's just no accounting, is there? Luke Giaconetti's emailed, speaking of G.I. Joe. Yes. A simply scintillating session spotlighting the Silver Age Scarlet Speedster and Super Soldier. That's good. Try saying that ten times as fast. That is awesome, Stan Lee-like alliteration. Mm. I'm very impressed with that. That's quite good. Meanwhile, behind this innocent-looking facade of a bookstore... Which is the opening. Yeah. You didn't say dear. Yeah. Because we're not dear. <laughs> we're relatively cheap. Well, we are. All yeah. things considered. Luke's email begins, when I got into comics in the early 90s, I was primarily a Marvel guy. As such, the Silver Age was like this mystical era, where all the cool characters I was learning about all debuted, and I would pour over my Marvel Universe trading cards, reading up on the characters, and get all goggle-eyed at their first appearances, nearly all of which were in the 60s or 70s. To my pre-teen brain, there was no way to get a hold of these comics cheaply. Even the Marvel Masterworks were at the time out of my price range. Needless to say, when Marvel first bought out their Essentials line, I was an early adopter on both Iron Man and the Avengers, and from there my love of the Silver Age blossomed like a four-coloured rose. My love of the Silver Age continued to expand and grow as I began to really dig into the pre-crisis DC Comics output. And so, of course, when they brought out their Showcase Presents collections, well, I drunk deeply from that particular well. So when you guys said you were going to be looking 
looking at the Silver Age, I was very intrigued to hear the thoughts of a reader older than I and a reader younger than I, so as to compare and contrast all of our viewpoints. How lofty! The early Silver Age Flash comics are a ton of fun to read, even some 50 years or so after they were first published. The idea of a hero using his brains as much as his powers is fairly revolutionary. Jay Garrick had been doing the speeds to shtick for many years. Gardner Fox would recycle more than one speed trick for Jay or Barry. But the real strength of these stories is the creativity in using the hero's power. My personal favourite speed trick will always be the Flash spinning his arms to create a whirlwind, a trick which can be used for many different effects, not just hitting the bad guy, meaning our hero can apply his brain to solve problems rather than just beat up an enemy. This creativity is what was the spark on the Flash strip, and I think this is still being seen today in the pages of the current Flash title. And the book was just fun. You guys mentioned that Barry put on a costume simply because that's what you did in the 50s. I think that was true even of the Flash's rogues. I'm reminded of one story where the top goes on a crime spree simply because he is unimpressed at his low standing on a jailhouse pole of the most popular rogues. No, this is not. An imaginary story. My favourite was always running on water. Okay. I love him running on water. Because even as a little, little kid when I first read those stories, because they came out in 1980, yeah. Superheroes, and I suppose eight. And I did justify as well you can spin a, a stone across hmm. thingy across water because it moves so fast it bounces. Yeah. And I was like, totally, I totally buy that the Flash can do that. I like when he does a super and spins really, really fast as he drills for the floor. Yeah, I, I, like, I like it when they use the Flash's powers really cool. Very impressive. That was us editorialising Luke's email. Luke continues, You guys also discussed the visual shorthand of having Flash move in a regular speed, but everyone else moving in slow motion. Besides in TV and film adaptations, this effect is done wonderfully in the Game Boy Advance game Justice League Heroes, The Flash. The Scarlet Speedster, Wally West in this case, he can use his speed in two ways in this three-quarters overhead view brawler. The first lets him dash between opponents instantly, but the second puts him into bullet time, only he moves at normal speed. This game was great fun just to dash at a robot, hit him, then into the bullet time, hit him a few more times at super speed, wait for the explosion to just start, then drop back to normal speed and dash away from the explosion. So awesome. I've never played that. Have I you? I have not. No? Okay. Sounds good, though. That sounds quite impressive, that. If Max Payne was the Flash. If Max Payne was the Flash, yeah. Over on the Marvel side of the fence, Luke's mail continues, regarding Avengers 4, these early Avengers stories are pretty rough going. But I find that Stan and Jack pick up steam after this issue and start getting a lot more enjoyable. The presence of Cap in the book cannot be overstated, as I think the title really soars after his introduction and the exit of the Hulk. It's funny how well Captain America fits in the Marvel Silver Age. The 1960s fascination with World War II contributes to this, as the living legend man-out-of-time aspect of the character gives Stan a hook to showcase the character in more quiet moments of reflection, as well as the human pinball combatant which Jack seemingly loved to draw. The issue itself is only about half a story, I agree, but this is one of those defining moments of Marvel Comics, which is rightfully pointed to as a major sea change in the American comic book industry and a huge milestone for the company. Loved hearing both you guys' takes, even if I'm already familiar with Andy's Silver Age opinion somewhat from Fantasticast. Glad to see that even though you could laugh at the silliness of the Turtle Man, the merits of the story as a whole were considered worthwhile. Did you know the Golden Age Turtle and the Silver Age Turtle Man eventually teamed up to become partners in slow crime? <laughs> How'd you become a partner in slow crime? Well, like when they have slow news days. <laughs> slow crime day. Yeah. Oh dear. Jeff Johns even had Turtle Tangle with Wally using his ability to steal speed from others to slow the fastest man alive down to a crawl. Pretty nifty. Chomping at the bit for more Silver Age hijinks. See you cats next time, Luke. Well, thank you, Luke. As usual, an excellent email from Luke. We'll do one more, I think. 
and then we will move on to today's exciting coverage. Yes. What do you think? The meat of the show. The meat of the show. Is that what you like to refer to it as? The meat. Yes, very, very good. Considering what we're covering, very clever. Yeah. Uh, Penny drops. You can watch the clogs turn. (laughs) You can see them (laughs) behind my eyes go click into place. Yes. Uh, Our final email tonight, me again, is from Gabriel Jimenez. Always love to hear from Gabriel. Hello, guys. I write once more, having listened to a couple of episodes since I last wrote, namely the email bag and the two cosmic spidey ones. On the most recent episode, you guys mentioned Mike's meeting with Grant Morrison. That was great. It's a fantastic feeling getting to meet one of your favourites, especially when they turn out to be good people. It was very noticeable how excited and happy he was about having met him. Literally, his voice was different. He was practically squealing with joy, he was. You were as well. I don't squeal. You a little bit. (laughs) You squealed a little bit. Only a little bit. Only a little bit. Is that you? The ball's dropped now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also shared an encounter with Mr. Morrison. It was at San Diego Comic Con. He was signing at the Marvel booth the summer where his run at X-Men had just started. I brought my copy of his first issue of Uncanny Friend to sign and he was very energetic and charming. I told him how much I was enjoying the issues that had come out and he said with a huge grin on his face, Well, you see what's coming up. I told him that he loved messing with people and getting them excited to which he replied, love it. It's the best. Very happy having met him. Okay, guys, just wanted to drop a quick letter. Take care. No worries, Gabriel. Thank you very much. It's nice to hear that he's not just nice with you. Oh, I know. Are you getting gutted about that? Oh, no. He still said I was his favourite reader. Did you? Okay, fair enough. You believed it. I, yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's okay. All right, we'll be back after uh, these messages. We'll be right back. Yes, indeed. It. And we will return with Marvel Zombies. Should have missed in October, sure. It was more, it's more of a... Uh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, pretty much. Let's, let's cash in on this zombie bandwagon, <laughs> <Yes>. should we? <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. Bye-bye. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. Man of Tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up. Up. And away. Atomic batteries. Turbines to speed. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. i 
very exciting, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Should we stick with this low-key vibe you've got going? We tried that at the beginning of the show. It didn't work out too well for us, did it? It didn't work yeah. out. Okay. From the BBC Four. <laughs> I have my turtleneck on. The fireplace I will. And I have, I have my, my little cigarette <laughs> in my hands. <laughs> cigarette holder as well. I have just taken a drag of that. I'm just taking a sip of my whiskey. Yeah. Sip of my whiskey here. And clean my monocle. <sighs> so now we're going to talk about some comics. <laughs> I turn it over to you, our illustrious guest. Have a, a low-brow entertainment. <laughs> it started with a flash in the sky and a ripple through the clouds. Mark Miller proudly proclaimed, I have an original idea that has never been done before. After sending the script to artist Greg Land, Ultimate Fantastic Four issue 21, Miller's first issue as single writer, having previously co-written the first six issues with Bendis, introduced the Ultimate Universe to an alternate universe, where all the Marvel characters we know and love, and were introduced in the Silver Age, which you can catch up on our previous episodes. <laughs> oh, excellent work, sir. Thank you very much. Replaced by zombie counterparts. In true Miller fashion, hilarity ensued. <laughs> only it didn't. We were shown a destroyed and derelict world with only a few desperate survivors being led by the once supervillain Magneto. With the help of Magneto, Ultimate Reed Richards and the group of survivors escaped back into the Ultimate Universe. The zombie Fantastic Four would be imprisoned in the Ultimate Universe until a later date. In 2005, writer Robert the Zombie Guy Kirkman and artist Sean No More Zombies Phillips teamed up for a five-issue miniseries that would focus on those zombies left behind, especially with the loose end that was Magneto. This series also had Arthur Sudam on covers, offering zombified pastiches on famous Marvel comic covers. My first contact with the infection was with issue 2. Long-time listeners might remember us talking about Mark's comic shop, where we would get free comics. Well, issue 2 was one of them. And if I remember correctly, it was a test run for The Walking Dead, a series I'd wanted to read oh so desperately at the time. Let's just remember how old I was. Ten. <laughs> I was told that I could read it when I was eleven, which then turned into twelve on my eleventh birthday. <laughs> Marvel Zombies was a test run, I'm assuming. A test for what, I'm not quite sure, as Kirkman's handling to zombies in both titles are very, very different. No, well, what happened with that was... As I was reading Marvel, Marvel Zombies, The Walking Dead, yeah. it gets progressively more and more intense. I, yeah. So when I originally said, oh, you can read it when you're 11, and then you got to 11, I was like, I don't think perhaps you should read this yet. Well, I, re- I, was, I was reading Invincible, and I'll be honest, Invincible's worse than Walking Dead. You think? I think Invincible may be worse for the gore, because Invincible's gore is happening to real people for the most part. Yeah. A lot of the on-panel gore in Walking Dead is zombies. I mean, not yeah. all of it. Certainly what happens to the governor is one of the most <laughs> yeah. intense sequences I have ever read in any comic. Because that I, I was 14, 15 at the time, and mm. you were genuinely not going to let me read it. I was it. genuinely not going to let you read that one, because I, I thought did that was anyway. intense. Yeah. But like, there's nothing I can do if you get in the house before me, is there? So. I, I remember we had the first two hardbacks out, and I was 12, and I, well, because I'd been waiting over a year, mm. I just completely forgot, and then I was like, oh yeah, I'm 12, I can read it. That's fair enough. Released afterwards, but set before, is Marvel Zombies vs. Army of Darkness. That pits Ash from the Evil Dead movies against the zombies, and shows the outbreak as it happens, with the zombified Sentry crash-landing and eating everyone on scene. Spinning out of that is Marvel Zombies Dead Days, a one-shot by Kirkman and Phillips that shows the complete infection. So is all that corrected in a separate trade? 
Uh, Army of Darkness is. Oh, hardcover. Sorry, because you've got the hardcovers of all of these. Yeah. You know what I've noticed? What? The Zomnibus. Zomnibus? <laughs> oh, I do like that. Yeah. Who put those two words together? I have no idea. Well, that's genius. Yeah, that I like one, that. That and the new Omnibuses they're doing, the paperback ones. Uh, Marvel zombies? Yeah. Not the Walking Dead big fat ones? Yeah. Right. They don't collect the Army of Darkness stuff because it's dynamite. Because Dynamite own the Army of Darkness comics. So how have they collected it for the hardcover you've got? Was that just a one-off agreement or I'm, something? I'm assuming. Right. Okay, fair enough. Marvel Zombies came out cover dated February through June 2006 and was one of the first series to boast a ton of variant covers from the subsequent printings of the comic due to its success. All of them, as Michael has mentioned, were by painter Arthur Sudian, and all of them, again, as Michael has pointed out, were based upon classic Marvel covers of the past. Issue 1's initial cover was based upon the now classic image of Spider-Man swinging with a man under his arms from Amazing Fantasy 15 by Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. You know, it's always an me. What? He's not swinging. I was just going to say, I have no idea how this Spider-Man is swinging, seeing as there's no webbing anywhere. So I presume he's plummeting to his death. Yeah. I presume that's what the photo is depicted. That's how he broke his legs. Yes, that's how he broke his legs in the story. That's fair enough. Yeah. The second print was a takeoff of Spider-Man number one by Todd McFarlane. Alright, I suppose. The third print was a spoof of Amazing Spider-Man issue 50, the famous Spider-Man No More image by John Romita Sr. And the fourth print was based upon the cover to Incredible Hulk number one by Jack Kirby. Very, uh, big fans of Spider-Man. Yeah, Spider-Man gets... Well, I suppose at the time they didn't know how this was going to sell, did they? Yeah. And it's always a surefire thing. Put X-Men... Uh, Spider-Man, sorry. Put Spider-Man or Wolverine on the cover. Yeah. And it'll, it'll sell. sell. So it seems like the safe thing to do will be put a Spider-Man on the cover. Sudiam's painted style is pleasing, if a little muddy, and his pastiche of famous covers of the past is well done and gives the reader a decent recognition factor. They're all a pretty good mix of eye-catching art and horrific imagery, which is a pretty good summation of the series, mm. isn't it? Someone must have liked him because he gets cover credited on the hardback. Uh, well, the cover, the hardcover which we've got here, this is Michael's hardcover first print, is a pastiche of Secret Wars. Yeah. Was that just for this edition? Yeah. Each, right. each reprint of the collected editions had their own covers. All right, so the second print of this has a different cover. Yeah. Right, fair enough. And the paperback, does that have a different cover? Or I think that's doing that the same, yeah. Right, okay, fair enough. Okay. Having closed off the portal to the Ultimate Universe, Magneto finds himself surrounded by other zombies and makes a break for it, damaging them in any way he can. After losing them, he is contacted by Asteroid M, but is found by Hawkeye. The rest of the zombies swarm onto him, whilst boasting about his superiority after collapsing a building on them. The wasp flanks him and bites a chunk out of his neck. Taking their opportunity, the zombies feast. After a magneto meal, the zombies <laughs> rest... Is that like a happy meal? <laughs> yeah. Extra iron in them. <laughs> Very good! The zombies rest and try to work out the effects of the virus over them being dead, when Luke Cage spots a strange person hovering in the sky. The Silver Surfer on more food. One of the things you're going to notice, lovely listeners, is that the synopsis for these issues are actually very, very short. They are. There's a reason for that. <laughs> yes. Uh, page one. I've not read Ultimate Fantastic Four in any respect at all. I didn't read any of it. It just didn't interest me. Uh, so I certainly haven't read the zombie Fantastic Four story that preceded this. So I'm not really sure 
how all this happened other than Michael's brief synopsis up at the beginning of the show. The problem I do have with any story of this kind is it normally relies on our heroes being a little bit stupid. Like a lot of what-ifs. Do you ever read any old what-ifs? No. They always spin out of this idea that one thing changes and it spins the story in another direction. Yeah. But sometimes that one change actually relies on the hero being a little bit dumb for the change to happen and then for it to go off in its other direction. And, you know, I don't think it's any different in this. How did they all get infected so suddenly? Was that mentioned in the previous story? Well, it was the sentry. I mean, it it wasn't just a virus, it was... The Marvels. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's not a virus. So the Sentry gave it to everybody. Yeah. And because he's the version of Superman, he found it very easy to go around biting everybody. Yeah. And they bite other people. Yeah. Well, the Avengers showed up on scene. So when the Sentry crash landed, the Avengers show up. So the Sentry goes and infects all them. So then the Avengers are infected as well. And with Avengers being big superheroes they find it quite easily to go and infect people. So is that why there's no regular people around by the time this story opens? Yeah. That they've eaten them all? Yeah. Everyone on the entire planet? They... Well, they do mention there are some survivors. We never see them, though, do we? In, you do in Ultimate Fantastic Four, but right. that's very little. There's one group that Magneto was in. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I was just thinking, normally, in a normal story, yeah. the heroes would have found a way to beat this pretty straight off, wouldn't they? Mm. But well, they still do. They still try. That's the premise of this, though, isn't it? Yeah, so you either accept that and go with it. Yeah. I'll just go. I'm not reading this filth. But so, all right, we accept the premise. One thing I couldn't accept, which I'm sure you're going to explain to me, right? Daredevil getting getting a girder through the chest was funny. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of black humour in this that is quite amusing. Pages two and three, I didn't understand why Wolverine's healing factor didn't fix this. He's dead. I get that he's dead, or undead, or barely dead, or really most sincerely dead, or whatever the hell he's supposed to be. But in the ultimate verse, in which this is set, right? No, it's not. So where is it set, then? In an alternate zombie universe. Of the ultimate universe? No, just an alternate universe. Complete. So we could access this universe from 616? Yeah. So the fact that Wolverine has been ripped in half by the Hulk and stitched himself back together in his healing factor... So you're saying that the healing factor just doesn't work on this because it doesn't? No, no, no. Uh, what I'm saying is, do you know how you always have problems with him being ripped in half because the yeah, healing factor has got to stop somewhere? I do think that the, the healing factor has become slightly ridiculous, yes. Well, if he dies, there's no healing factor because he's dead. Right, okay. But in X-Men comics when I was a kid, the yeah. Chris Claremont stuff, they established that his healing factor was pretty damn good. Yeah. But if brain death occurred... Then he was dead. He's brain dead. So if you drowned Wolverine, yeah. he was dead. Yeah. They're not brain dead. But they are. But they're not. But they Somebody are. scoops Captain America's brains out and, and he, he dies. Still, no, no, only later on. He loses the top half scoop. of his brains. He loses, he loses, some he loses of his the brains. top half of his head, doesn't he? Yeah. And some of his brains go. And somebody just casually says, I think it's Hank Pym, says, Oh, you're alright. You can lose half your brain and you'll be fine. But he loses half his brain, yeah. So he loses the half of his brain that's not important. Yes. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> so basically, what you're saying here is. Accept that Wolverine's healing factor doesn't work. If you can accept that they're all zombies, you can accept that his healing factor doesn't work. I'm I sure. can accept that they're all zombies if the internal logic of the story follows through. But Kirkman does just throw out a line of dialogue that says, "Oh, my healing factor hasn't worked," and then just moves on. 
yeah. and never mentions it again. It's like the writer acknowledging that Wolverine's healing factor was a problem. But I'm just going to say it didn't work and go with it. He, he's, he's dead. You can't heal what's dead. Okay, fair enough. All right, he's, he's dead. <laughs> His healing factor didn't work. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. Because I say so. Yeah. <laughs> so he's taking the dad approach to writing <laughs> comics. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the, I did question the internal logic of this when I was reading it this time. And I know I, you're going to hit me. <laughs> Because the first time I read this, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. Yeah. But I had a couple of problems with it just as a reading enjoyment experience, which I'll mention later on. I will talk about them later. In reading it for this, as we've mentioned before, you're reading it with a different eye. Yeah. You're looking at it from a more critical perspective. Not that we're professional critics or anything, but you are examining it a lot closer than you would if you just picked it off the shelf and reading it for fun. Mm. Okay, so with that in mind, and with what I've said, that I did find this funny... I did find a lot of the black humour in this quite funny. But what's the upshot of this zombieitis? In other tellings of zombie stories, the person is dead, right? Yeah. Making wholesale slaughter easier to take. Yeah. You don't feel sorry for the zombies in The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Because they are dead. They're not people anymore. Mm. They've gone out of their way to tell you that. Yes. Okay. Here, the characters all still talk, think, and act like the person they were, but the moral compass seems to have been removed. More or less. But later on, Spider-Man has a self-pitying moment where he bemoans the fact that he ate his wife and aunt. Yeah. I felt that was a little bit contradictory. Well, Tony Stark points out that he's only like that after he's eaten. Right, and the Hulk is only Bruce Banner after he's eaten. Yeah. Because the anger makes him... The hunger, sorry, makes him... Don't make me hungry. Yeah. (laughs) Makes him change into the Hulk. Mm. But I still felt it was a little bit contradictory that they were their own personalities, but they're not their own personalities. Well, they are. It's just they're also a zombie as well, so it's too... They're contradicting themselves. Because Hank Pym does say that he's disgusted with himself for finding eating humans enjoyable. Yeah. But none of the others seem bothered by that. They're hungry. Alright, fair enough. Okay, so this is another one of those parenting approach to writing. Yeah. Because I say so. (laughs) Alright, fair enough. Because the Kirkman says so. Because the Kirkman says so, yes. Captain America getting the shield through the top of his head. God, that was goopy. I like his facial expressions all the way through, just his. I like like that pastiche on the Ultimates where he says, look, do you think this stands for France? Yeah. In this one, he's pointing at his head going, look what he did to me! He's chopped the top of his head off. So Magneto's grabbed hold of his shield and hurled it with full magnetism superpower Mm. and chopped the top of Captain America's head off. (laughs) Just literally the top of his skull. I'm not going to lie, I did think that was funny. I like the little mini-mates of him. They made his own head separate with half of it missing and his brains coming out. Did they? Yeah. Is that the one you've got yeah. on your bookshelf? Alright, I'll have to have a look at that because I don't think I've ever noticed. And Daredevil is missing a hole through his chest. Is he? It's a C, it, it's still there, but it's that see-through material. Right, okay, so, you, so where he's got the, the girder through his chest, yeah. that's on the figure. Alright, fair enough. Why was this not a Max book? Um, I mean, there's no swearing in it. No, which is primarily Maybe what Max it. seems bothered about, doesn't it? Yeah. There seems to be a very this very nebulous line about violence. 
certain amounts of violence seem to be wholly accepted in certain age comic books, but once you start swearing and once you introduce sex, yeah. that pushes it over to well, being a max that's, title. Because, you know, God forbid people should have sex, but people cussing each other's heads off, that's okay! <laughs> that's what we've noticed with uh, culture as a whole, though, with the media. Yeah, the media does seem more interested in violence than they are in, in sexual stuff. Yeah. Alright, so maybe that's why this is not a max book. You've seen the violence in DC comics, it's no different. Yeah, Marvel does seem a bit more turned down on that level yeah. than, than DC is. Alright, fair enough. This okay. is just Blackest Night. Pretty much. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I did like the use of the sound effect Foom. Friends of all Marvel from back in the day. I'm trying to find what page it is now. The yeah, there it is. When Captain America falls on his back. Spider-Man says out of webbing crap. That's because you told me this is an organic webbing, Spider-Man. Either that... Or he's just out of webbing. That's possible, but the organic thing did work as well, because he's, he's not alive dead, anymore. So yeah, he's not producing anything. So he wouldn't be producing any. Although I despise the organic webbing. But moving on. The film was out at the time. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, why is Magneto running everywhere? Didn't he used to be able to use ley lines or some such to be able to fly? Wouldn't that help him stay out of the way if he could fly? I mean, he'd yeah. still have Iron Man and Thor and the Angel, and who else can fly out of this lot here? to contend with. It wouldn't even matter that way if he runs into the rest of the group. Well, if he's flying, though, surely it's easier to avoid three flying zombies than be on the ground and be swarmed by them. I yeah. thought tactically that made more sense yeah. than, than staying put. I mean, again, there is one line of dialogue that uh, says Thor is watching the skies, I'm going to have to walk out of here, mm. which reeked to me of Kurtman basically saying I don't want him to fly out of here because if he flies my story doesn't work well Miller did leave him with a loose end did he so it does just yeah because it ends with the cliffhanger that this picks up with yeah but that that panel does Kirkman not Miller it, well this could just be Kirkman wanting to get that loose end out of the way I suppose so. I just thought that, that that did reek of the writer saying, no, he's not flying out of here, because I know that makes sense, but my story doesn't work if I do that. Yeah. And at least he does put a line in to try and explain it, but they're watching the skies, what one character is. So you can't just take off and fly the opposite direction while he's facing the other way. Yeah. Because you're Magneto. That, that's, how, that's how flying works. You can go up into space, but when you come back down, you end up in the same place you took off from. Not here, he don't. <laughs> he can go anywhere he wants. Alright, fair enough. The Asteroid M subplot is nice, although surely Magneto would be a bit suspicious that the face on the screen is blurry and indistinct. To me, that screamed trap. It never... I, I never took it that way. Did I was you know, just like, oh. When I first read this, I thought, this is a trap, dude. But, but it isn't. The signal is just messed yeah, up. It isn't, it isn't anything, is it? It is a genuine signal from the people on Asteroid M. Yeah. So, fair enough, that was me thinking it's a trap when it... That was you reading too much. Yes, that was me <laughs> reading too much when clearly it wasn't. Uh, Magneto beheading Hawkeye. <laughs> Taking a lot of heads <laughs> off with that shield. Is really quite funny. I was a bit confused by the geography. Yeah. Hawkeye aims his arrow, right? And yeah. he shoots. Now, Hawkeye's a pretty good shot, yeah. isn't he? Magneto chucks Cap's shield and knocks the arrow off its trajectory, but he knocks it up. Yeah. So then how does that arrow then hit him in the ribs? He decides to fly out of the... But just, he, no, he hasn't just, done. just the wrong moment, <laughs> no, he, he decides to done. fly. Because that kind of implies Hawkeye was aiming at his shins. Maybe, maybe he's that good of a shot, he knew that it was going to bounce off the shield. No, no he didn't. That's that's just silly, quite frankly. 
Um, going to what I was saying earlier, Magneto's taken down quite stupidly. The wasp appears behind him, which is fair enough, because she's a little thing and she can flitter. Yeah. So it's possible he's not spotted her, so I was okay with that. And then he gets ripped to pieces by the other characters, which is gross, because <laughs> it's an entire page of close-ups of teeth-rending the, flesh. That, that panel doesn't, page doesn't bother me. What does bother me is the Hulk ripping his leg off like that. Yeah. That's, that's always bothered me. That's it. The Hulk just turning his leg off. But he does have a really funny line. Hulk broke man. Yeah. <laughs> is he still alive at that point? Oh, yeah. He just lost a leg and he's still alive. Yeah, Magneto's not dead yet until they scarf him down. And all the heroes just lie around after eating Magneto. Stuffed. Yeah. Because they've just had a big Christmas dinner. The whole, uh, Batman in particular. <laughs> yeah, Banner's gut is huge. And it just... Because the Hulk and Banner have two different stomachs. Yes, yes, the Hulk has a much bigger stomach than Banner. So when he turns back to Banner, he's literally full. Rips open, yeah. And uh, it rips his stomach open. Which is, is great. Then Spider-Man starts moaning. And Luke Cage says, oh, here we go again, implying that this has happened before. Mm, he, he does it loads of times, like later on when he's on about his mask as well. Yeah. I there's was, there's I a was... bit in the second one as well with Spider-Man. The, the, the premise of the second one is they have picked clean the entire universe. As Galactus is, even though we yeah. just ruined the ending. So they're really hungry. Yeah. And Spider-Man's still making jokes about it. And someone says, well, why are you still joking about this? And he's like, oh, because if I stop joking, then I'll be reminded of all <sighs> the people I've eaten. I had a problem with how we handled Peter Parker, but I'll mention something about that later on. Um, why is the Silver Surfer when he shows up transparent? Is it? Yeah, you can see the building through him there. I thought that's just him being all shiny. Is it? Because yeah. it just looks like, all right, fair enough. I thought it, you could see through him. Struck me as a bit odd. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's it's completely it's, wrong. It's that th- was a fantastic four film. Up. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. How stupid of me. <laughs> One of the things I thought when I first read this when it came out, interesting and enjoyable as it was. Uh, this really didn't need to be this length. No, it, it certainly doesn't need to be the length it is now. No. Well, what with its sixteen different sequels. Yeah, and spin-offs. So in reading it this time, I keep to running tally. Keeped. Kept. I kept a running tally of how many superfluous pages. Issue one fares pretty well. You can remove the page of Magneto being eaten and not harm the story. And cheating slightly, you could move the word balloons about on the last two pages and remove the final page with no problem. Mm. And the story would still flow as it is. But it was a pretty decent first issue, in which not a lot happens. No. But it all happens in a gross and entertaining fashion. Yes. It does read more like fanfic than the work of a professional writer. And Kirkman does try, to his credit, to make this work with a few lines of dialogue. But it's not something that really stands up to an awful lot of scrutiny, is it? Mm. It's fun. It is, yeah. But it's inconsequential, is what I'm saying. Issue two, the initial cover is a pastiche of Avengers number four, which we have covered on this show. Yeah. Go back and listen to that. Yeah. Uh, originally by Jack Kirby. Oddly, issue two does not seem to have had any variant covers or reprintings. No. Loss of income for Marvel, though. Can you imagine how irritating that would be if you were buying this in the shops and you've missed them all? So you've got second printings of number one for you and second printings of number three and number four and number five and number two you've got to pay top dollar for. Yep. Because there's no second printer. It's a bit irritating that, isn't it? It is a bit, but we got it for free. But you got it for free. You should have kept it. That was worth a bit for a while, huh? 
Could have been, yeah. It's probably not worth anything now. Probably not, no. One would imagine. <laughs> Tell us about issue number two, Michael. The group of zombies decide to regroup with all the other zombies after the Silver Surfer disappears, and Giant Man decides to head back to his secret lab, where he eats a part of the human and sedated Black Panther during a Tarantino-esque monologue. During this, his wife, the Wasp, discovers his secret, and in order to stop her from telling all the other zombies about his secret stash, he bites her head off. <laughs> Elsewhere, the group meet up with Tony Stark and the rest of the zombies. Stark's ignored that they ate Magneto, but he and Colonel America discuss plans about scouring the world for more food. The Silver Surfer then appears above them, and states that this world is now to be prepared to be nourishment for the mighty Galactus. The zombies seize the Surfer's nourishment for them, and decide to attack. Fair enough. Why is this universe's Captain America Colonel? I, I, I don't know. He just is. Well, I asked you when I read it for the first time, and you just, uh, he was a colonel. Did I not know? No. Did I just fob you off with some stupid explanation? Probably. Yeah. Did he say he was a president at one point? Was that in the main comics? I don't know, because I've not read enough of the Ultimate Universe. He got asked to ultimate. run for president in Stern Burn Run, but he turned it down and didn't actually right. do it. There is a what-if where he ran for president. Maybe in this alternate universe he, he went for it, yeah. Yeah, maybe in this alternate universe he accepted it. Colonel America just doesn't sound as good as Captain America. It doesn't. And it's a lesser rank. Yeah. So he may have been president, but he didn't rise as high in the ranks <laughs> in the in the army, did he? Seems fair enough, I suppose. Uh, going off my idea that there is a fair bit of padding in the story, the first page can be completely lost, as the story beats are mentioned again in the double page spread on pages 233. Three. Basically, who was that silver dude and where has he gone? Yeah. First page can be completely nixed. Angel offers to fly after him. Giant Man says, what? You can eat him yourself? Doesn't this contradict the last issue where Thor and Angel were sent after Magneto? Mm, were they sent after him or did he just split up? Well, I'd be more concerned that Thor would keep Magneto for himself, given that Thor is a lot more powerful than any of them. Yeah. Being that he's a god and all. Because if he's kept his same power level, then he's still quite a powerful zombie, isn't he? Mm. But the Surfer is a lot more powerful than Magneto. So if anyone was going to take the Silver Surfer down, it's not going to be the Angel, angel. is it? (laughs) Let's be honest. Not even Archangel. What has the Angel got going for him other than he's got a pair of wings and can fly? He's got no superpowers other than that. Yeah. So the Silver Surfer's not going to be worried about the Angel. Thor! Oh no, here comes Angel. Oh no, here comes Angel. Please beat your wings at me. Let's fly slightly to the left. (laughs) Oh yes. Thor could probably offer him some some competition. Yeah, but not the angel. And and did and did yes, exactly right. As you can uh, recall in our Silver Age episodes, catch him now on two three. <laughs> You're getting very good at that. I am. Uh, an entire page of Giant Man skulking around New York. There's a nice subtle use of the wasp there in the first panel, mm. which I thought was quite. And there's good. a nice use of him shrinking down to size. Yeah, um, which is very cleverly done, but. One added caption box on the top of the next page, and again, you could lose a page without harm in the story. That's not pacing, that's padded. This is very padded. Yes, exceptionally. Uh, the idea that Giant Man's keeping T'Challa alive and cutting bits off him, not even as an experiment to see how all this has happened and if there's a cure, just yeah. to eat him, is really creepy. Presumably the Black Panther wasn't in Wakanda when all this went down. I was presuming that he was with Probably. the Avengers. Uh, Captain America Colonel says that Wakanda's really bad yeah Colonel America mentions that uh, Wakanda has been converted as well I don't quite know how if he only landed here but whatever 
It's affected the entire world now, don't ask. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just because I said so. Yes. This is what this should be called. Marvel Zombies, because I said so. Well, in, in Army of Darkness, there are already zombies by issue four, and they just walk to Latveria. Every so they- single zombie... Walks to Latveria. Doctor Doom like this, does he? <laughs> uh, I'm in two minds on on the next page where Giant Man swats the wasp with his backhand and then bites her head off on panel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he does it all on screen. We don't skip on the details. No, no, we don't. Um, Do you not think Giant Man looks like Sean Phillips? Yes, he does a he bit. He does the same with John Constantine as well. Except Sean Phillips has got jet black hair, not blonde hair. It's still the same her, though. But, yeah, it's... pretty much. It does look a little bit like Sean Phillips. I mean, him eating the wasp and all that stuff, it's goopy and horrific and all of that, but is this another writer playing into the whole giant man is a wife beater and completely ignoring all the hard work Roger Stern put into redeeming him in the early 80s? It might just not be that. I mean, he has no problem hitting the other zombies around. Do you think it's just because she was there? Probably. Uh, maybe I mean, I'm just reading too much into he's that. He's panicking, he's a desperate guy. I mean, no, I can see where you're coming from. Because the, the, with the Ultimates as well. Yeah, the Ultimates haven't been able to let that go. No. That's they... become his defining character trait in the Ultimate comics, hasn't it? Mm. It's not become Peter Parker's defining common that, com- that, character that trait that he punched Mary Jane across the room, I, yeah. I, I don't think anyone actually read all of the Clone Saga and remembered it. <laughs> it. Everyone who read that just went into a state of denial <laughs> yeah. and said, no, it never happened. No, 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 no. Forget about it. And everyone has. Thankfully, Mark Miller has never been allowed near Spider-Man <laughs> to be able to bring that back and establish that Peter Parker is actually a wife beater. You did let him off Spider-Man, but they only showed him the movies, I think. <laughs> yeah, he got all his other information from Spider-Fan.org. He never actually read a Spider-Man comic in his life. Alright, fair enough, whatever. Uh, the surface flight across the world gives us as readers something The Walking Dead has yet to address, that this is a worldwide phenomenon. We see Captain Britain in London, Doctor Doom, presumably in Latveria, Sunfire in Japan, Scar, Son of Hulk in what looks like a snowy wilderness, Sabre in Israel, and that guy though that I don't recognise at all. That's Titanium Man in Russia. Is it? No, not that one, the snowy one. The snowy one's Titanium Man in Russia, is it? Alright, so that's not Scar, Son of Hulk. No. Alright, fair enough, we'll use that one then. He wouldn't have been around at this point. Catman. Catman. <laughs> there is no Catman in the Marvel Universe. He's Lion Man. Alright, I didn't know who that was. <laughs> I don't know. At all. He's obviously supposed to be somebody of import. Because yeah. he gets his own panel in the middle of what looks like an African wasteland, mm. doesn't he? But I have no idea who he is. Me neither. Yeah, so. I, I, I don't really like the idea of them showing what happens around the rest of the world. Do you know? It makes it bigger and you're not focusing on one group anymore. I know, but there is... You do get to a point where you're asking yourself, so, all right, is this a worldwide phenomenon? See, one of the things I would love The Walking Dead to do is acknowledge that, no, it's just America. Well, I think what, what makes The Walking Dead work is that you're always focusing on one character who doesn't know. Yeah, he's not got a clue, has he? Yeah, so, I think that works. One thing that would story. be really cool for The Walking Dead is for them to get to the border of, of wherever the hell they are, Georgia, yeah. and they realise it's only Georgia, <laughs> and they've just put a big brick wall around it without anyone knowing, and everyone else is okay. Yeah. And it's just Georgia. That'd be hysterical. <laughs> uh, Kirkman manages to mine some black humour out of the meeting in Times Square where the heroes regroup with Iron Man. He doesn't believe it for a second that Magneto died in an explosion. And well, he shouldn't. 
Quite frankly, they're lying to him. And there's a great line where Colonel America mentions that Hawkeye is dead. And Iron Man just looks at him and goes, you think? Yeah. That was funny. I like, it's the facial expressions. That, that's the, some of the best things about the art as well. Given that he's got not a lot of fish to work with. Yeah, it's all shadow. Um, because they've all lost the lips and all their eyes are now blank white. The teeth are really creepy. Yeah, so they've not, he's not got a lot of facial expressions to work with. So it's quite impressive that he, he manages to make facial impressions. I mentioned in the issue one discussion that there's some discrepancy in how the characters are portrayed here. Kirkman tries to explain little bits here and there, but the bottom line is all these people sounded a bit samey to me. He doesn't make any attempt to, differ- to differentiate the speech patterns or dialogue between most of the characters. I suppose one could argue that this is a product of the virus or whatever. But there are places where the, spe- the speech balloons could be swapped around and it wouldn't make any difference. Yeah. Did you not think? Or did you disagree with me? I, I don't know. I didn't get that it was different people talking to each other. They all yeah. felt like the same voice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's always really hard to explain this in a comic. Because I can understand people who no, would go, what do you mean voice? They, you all, it's a comic. The they all read like the same. There's no differentiation between the speech patterns. I, I guess you could blame it on this being the Millerverse. Possibly. What, and Robert Kirkman's just immersed himself in the Millerverse? Yeah. Because ah, in the Millerverse, everyone... Everyone it? has the same voice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Chris Claremont used to get flack for giving his characters dialects, but at least he was trying. Mm. Giant Man and Iron Man are pretty interchangeable in this. Yeah. The smart scientist guys. Mm. And that's it. There's I think Giant Man's a bit more creepier than Iron Man in there. Yeah, and the Iron Man acknowledges that, like, yeah, I did on the set. When they said, we've eaten him. He didn't die in an explosion. And Iron Man's, yeah, alright, fair enough. Just be honest with me. I'd have lied to you. Yeah. I didn't, I liked that. I thought that was quite refreshing, to be honest with you. Uh, this seems to be the surface first appearance on Earth. Yes. Now, you've answered the question that I've put in my notes that is there no FF here? Because mm. you said they disappeared through the WhatsApp portal. Yeah. But if this is the surface first appearance on Earth, and Iron Man is clearly wearing an early version of his costume, yeah. then the implication here, this is an early Marvel Universe story, because you keep harping on that this isn't the ultimate verse. But Spider-Man's married. Yeah. It's it's just a different universe where things happen differently. Because I said so. Because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> the parenting approach to writing <laughs> comics. <laughs> Fair enough, alright, okay, I can go with that. As long as that's accepted. Yeah. Alright, fair dues. Again, with just a few swapped word balloons and panels, the last five pages of this comic could easily have been cut down to three with no loss to story, structure, or pacing. Hmm. I like that you don't disagree with me about no, that. No, 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 it's, it's very padded. I, I like how, um, it's with these two pages laid out here, the last of this issue two and the first of issue three, hmm. they both contradict each other. Yes. Because he puts his mask, put his down. mask down yeah. to then fly up and lift, lift it, up, it again. up again. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I get that he can't eat with his mask down. So why did he put it down? But why put it down in the first <laughs> yeah. place? Yeah. That, that's, that's, that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. But it's like if you'd, if you'd made those last five pages of issue two, three pages, you would remove that inconsistency. Because you can remove page one of part three. Yeah. As well and go straight there and his mask is still up. 
So you would remove that consistency. Yeah. Inconsistency, sorry. And this was pretty much the same as part one. You get over the novelty of the situation, some of the black humour is good, but this is starting to feel like a good idea stretched out over too many issues. Kirkman is a great writer. I love Invincible, and the success of Walking Dead cannot be overstated, but it feels like he's very much waiting, writing, sorry, for the paycheck Mm. in this one. I mean, I don't know if he was Robert Kirkman yet, or was he still just Robert Kirkman? Was he still new at this point? Probably none of his things have been turned into TV shows yet. At this point, right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't go to work every day out of love. Yeah. I expect to be paid. But in this particular endeavour, I'm not really feeling any passion for the project. It's a fun idea in search of a story. Mm. Because you can argue till you're blue in the face that as fun as this is, there is not a story here. Well, it is just based on a throwaway story from a miller story. It's an idea in search of a story. Yeah. That's not to say it's bad, but there's not a lot to chew on, if you'll forgive the pun. Marvel thought differently. Yeah, well, the audience did. It's all like gangbusters. Mm -hmm. What do I know? (laughs) (laughs) Seems to be the bottom line there, but for me, that's what I'm thinking. Number three, Marvel Zombies issue 3 has a cover that pastiches Incredible Hulk issue 340 of Zombie Hulk reflected in Zombie Wolverine's claws, originally by Todd McFarlane. The second print pastiches DD 179, Electra with her sigh through DD's mask by Frank Miller. Which still has an amazing ability of holding itself up. Yes, it's quite impressive. I can only assume his cowl is kind of like lined. Which would make sense. A bit of a helmet built into Yeah, it. a bit of a helmet built into it. I do like on the Wolverine cover that the Hulk has got an eyeball in his mouth. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense because Wolverine has an eyeball still in his head and yeah. one missing, but one falling from his mouth. Maybe the Hulk's still in mid-meal. Alright, so Wolverine's interrupting him eating. Yeah. Alright, fair enough. I thought the implication there was he'd eaten Wolverine. Oh no, Wolverine's eye- mouth is full of eyeballs. Yeah. How delightful! Maybe I've only just noticed that. Eyeballs. I have only just noticed that, and now I wish I had. <laughs> All right, tell us about issue three. The zombies attack the surfer, who deals out some heavy blows on the zombies. Wolverine loses an arm, and Iron Man loses his entire lower body. <laughs> the Hulk, in a mad frenzy after taking the power cosmic to the face, manages to bite the surfer's head off, leaving him as easy pickings for the rest of the group. Giant Man, returning from his lab picks up the surfer's body and the crippled Spider-Man and Iron Man, allowing them to eat before the rest of the group fight for it back. Some manage to eat, and those who do discover that they've obtained the power cosmic through eating the surfer. They decide to put this power to good use, depending on your point of view, and fry the other zombies. Black Panther, now more awake than he was earlier, carries the still-alive head of the wasp as he attempts to escape. As he takes a moment to rest, he's confronted by members of Asteroid M who are looking for Magneto, and are shocked to see that Black Panther is alive. After discovering that zombies taste like ass no matter how much you cook them, (laughs) Colonel America, Iron Man, Spider-Man, Wolverine, the Hulk, and Luke Cage, those with the power cosmic, find themselves at the feet of Galactus, who is rather annoyed to learn that his herald was eaten before his arrival. That's to say the least. <laughs> yeah, he's not impressed by that, is he's he? Not. Uh, as we already mentioned, page one could be excised. Wouldn't be missed. Uh, why does this surfer even hang around? Uh, of the heroes that can fly, only Iron Man 
and Thor are really any threat to him. And he cuts Iron Man in half on page one. Yeah. I mean, Thor gets in a pretty good lick. Um, but um, does what breaks, though, when he yeah, smashes yeah. him? Oh, so his hammer breaks against the Silver Surfer. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I've never really thought about that. Would Mjolnir be able to survive in a fight between him and the Surfer? Apparently not. Ooh. It did in that issue of Thor, though. Yeah, that's actually pretty cool, that. Yeah. I hadn't considered that. So Mjolnir breaks... That's how hard he's hitting him. That's how hard he's hitting the Silver Surfer. So yes, Thor would be a threat to him. But it seems that, again, this part of the story relies on the Surfer being a lot stupid. Yeah. The Silver Surfer can fly, and he's not like Magneto. Alright, okay, I will buy the Magneto thing, because Magneto would have to stay in Earth's atmosphere. The Surfer doesn't. The Surfer's not all that smart sometimes, though. But, well, there's also the thing as well, could Thor follow him out of space? Do they need to breathe? Don't know. We don't know, do we? Yeah. So, it all seemed a bit strange to me that the Silver Surfer could have just gone, screw this planet, <laughs> shot straight off, said to Galactus, right, you can have it, yeah. do it from orbit, it's the only way to be safe. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Very funny, though. That was good. That's what I would have done. Yeah. If I was in, but all right, but then the story would have ended, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> and we wouldn't have had a lucrative spin-off, or a sequel, yeah. or many, many, many other sequels, <laughs> and we'd have lost a lot of money. Indeed. And I would have been fired from my job <laughs> as Marvel's publishing editing group. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Love Wolverine taking a swipe at the Silver Surfer. And the Admantium Claws just rip off his flesh. Yeah. Because the Surfer is so hard, the claws embed into him. But he's, it rips... he's got dying skin anyway. Yeah, and it rips the dying flesh off his arm. Yeah. Oh, that was actually really, really cool. I, I like, liked that. I like the next panel where he just cuts his arm off. Yeah, he just chops his arm off, doesn't he? Yeah. Because it was like a waste. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. And again, you know, the healing factor's obviously not going to work, so why bother harping on it? Giant Man being smart enough to not want to get involved in this fight was funny. Because mm. he sees that the Silver Surfer's hard work and he goes, oh, I think it's time I left. <laughs> I'm not getting involved in this. Yep. And Deadpool's there as well. Does Deadpool get killed? Well, they all do, really. Was Deadpool? He's on that panel, though. What? Next I see All right, so he is. I have a sketch of so Zombie Deadpool. By Sean, Sean Phillips. And Charlie Adler. But Sean Phillips doesn't do zombies anymore. Not anymore. It's like, a poster of I got in there. Full watercolour yeah. as well. It's a nice little piece. His, his watercolours were lovely. Yeah. Sean Phillips is. It's a shame most of them are zombies. Yeah, well, that's probably why he doesn't do them anymore. Not probably not. One yeah. would imagine. Uh, the Surfer. Just hacking the heroes to pieces is very satisfying. And Hulk just biting off his head, while nonsensical, is suitably entertaining. Although, I did have a bit of problem with this. I've got to say, the Hulk grabs the Silver Surfer's wrists and holds them with the Surfer's hands, palms open, pointed towards the Hulk's head. Yeah, right? I don't know where you're coming from now. We are therefore supposed to believe the Surfer just lets the Hulk get his mouth around his head and bite without even attempting to get a cosmic blast off and blow the Hulk's head clean off. Yeah. I'm pretty sure a power cosmic blast from that range would stagger even the Hulk. Well, maybe the Silver Surf was a bit preoccupied with his head being in the Hulk's mouth. But when he grabs hold of him at the bottom of yeah. the previous page... Yeah. His, his head is nowhere near his mouth. He had time to blast him, though, with a double, double-handed power cosmic blast. Well, you're reading it as a comic, so it's still images, so maybe the Hulk is really fast. (laughs) 
I didn't, all right, okay, fair enough. I thought this scene summed up the series. It's a series of very cool, funny moments that don't actually make a lot of sense. Sounds like the media. <laughs> all right, fair enough. With the power cosmic, our heroes uh, that manage to eat off the Silver Surfer wipe out a lot of the other heroes. Yeah. By taking a big chunk out of the Silver Surfer, they have all been imbued with some power cosmic. I like the scene where they learn it out, where the beast starts bitching at Captain America and he shoots his head off <laughs> accidentally. blows his head off. And I also like the scene where um, Hercules uh, sees the passed out Hulk and, tries, and opens his mouth to get the Silver Surfer's head out and the Hulk kicks his face out <laughs> and then crushes it that's the crushes his eyes pops out yes yes that's that's absolutely delightful <laughs> isn't it uh, I'm starting to get a little desensitised to all this violence at this point <laughs> although the Black Panther hobbling down the street with the wasp's head under his arm elicited a chuckle yeah <laughs> it is funny some of it I don't know if it's supposed to be. Well, all right. Galactus arrives at the end of the issue and is told that the heroes ate the Silver Surfer. I presume, therefore, yeah. that he is going to act in character and not be stupid and wipe out all the zombies and eat the planet from orbit. Right? Well, there are two issues left. So I'm guessing no, then. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. This two-page splash could have been done in one, again, without affecting the person of the story, so we've lost a couple of pages from this nice issue. It's a nice two-page spread, though. It's, uh... It shows the size. It's nice. Sean Phillips signed it. He, yes. Which is nice, <laughs> I suppose. It's a nice piece of art. It's a lovely piece of art if this were an art book. It's Sean Phillips. It could be an art book. It could book. be an art book, yeah. By far the funniest chapter of the story. The pacing seems a little bit better, with fewer wasted pages padding the story out to the requisite length. The Silver Surfer showing up and having his slightly pompous attitude punctured by the zombie heroes is entertaining, and the Hulk chowing down on his head is again grossly humorous, but I'm still having trouble believing the Surfer is this dumb. He's travelled the world, he's seen what's going on, Galactus is coming, why didn't you have to circle the globe and fly straight off, go back to Galactus and say, yeah, go on, you can have this one. There's no life forms on this planet worth saving. Get on with it. If you can get past this, the heroes gaining the power cosmic from eating the surfer is a nice development, and Galactus showing up's a neat cliffhanger. But I just wanted the surfer to nuke the planet and be done with it at this point. There are two issues left. Something's got to happen. There's got to be a fight scene. I'm pretty sure that there will I, be. I like how Iron Man flies now. He's got the power cosmic. Yeah, he, he, he's not bothered that he's been cut in half, is he? No, he can make him fly now. He can fly under his own power because he's got the power cosmic. Or, you know, the top half of him can. Yeah. Bottom half of him. Would he not be a little bit upset that he's, he's lost his his manhood? Even as a zombie, would you not be like, oh, I'm sure that would upset him. But no, can't power cosmic. Especially yeah. Tony Stark. Yeah. You know. Used this quite a bit, is our understanding. <laughs> uh, issue number four, the cover is a pastiche of X-Men number one by Jack Kirby. And the snowballs are skulls. Yeah, the snowballs are skulls from the Iceman. This is actually a really good cover. The snowballs that Iceman is hurrying are skulls. I don't know where he's got them from. One of them's got an eye in it. I don't yeah. know where that's come from. I don't know where that's come from, but whatever. Uh, Cyclops is holding his own head under his arms, but it's still shooting off his optic blast, mm-hmm. which I did think was quite funny. I like that we can't see Magneto, so we don't know whether he's a zombie or not. That would have made it a better cover for issue one. Yeah, actually, that probably would have worked really well. And the beast in full swing, and his arms snap off. Yeah. <laughs> I did find that, that quite funny. 
so making this a zombie version, a zombie reinterpretation works really well rather than just being a pastiche for the hell of it. He's actually put some thought into this one, hasn't he? Mm. The second print cover is based upon Amazing Spider-Man issue 39, Spider-Man Unmasked by the Green Goblin by John Romita. Senior, I love that the Green Goblin has a fork yeah. in his hand. <laughs> I just, that was funny. Like he's just sticking his tongue out. Yeah, I mean, you know. They're nice pieces of art. Yeah. I'll say that for him. Tell us about issue four. Galactus attacks, and after deciding that their powers are doing nothing against him, the cosmic zombies follow Jackman back to his lab, where he sees that Black Panther and the Wasp's head are missing. Where they are is surrounded by members of Asteroid M. A fight between them breaks out due to some members thinking the Black Panther is working for the zombies. Panther lets the Wasp's head eat a member until Cortez, the leader of the group, stops the fight and allows Panther and the Wasp up into the asteroid. Days after the initial fight, the cosmic zombies have created a device that would help them fight Galactus. However, by the time they get back to him, a group of villains are fighting him. Up on Asteroid M, Black Panther hands the wasp's head to a science guy, meets his future redhead <laughs> Lily, nice. yeah, and meets Forge from the X-Men, who says he'll build Panther some prosthetic limbs. Back down on Earth, the zombies have built a cannon and fuel it with the power cosmic. The shot is a direct hit and weakens Galactus. Uh, the opening is a single page splash which could be lost be honest yeah. doesn't contribute anything to the story and then there's a double page splash of, splash, splash of Galactus lashing out with his power cosmic after the heroes of Heaton is herald this is pretty cool I thought it was supremely underwhelming I've not argued with you about the art because I feel pretty bad because I do love Sean Phillips yeah he's a lovely guy and I, I genuinely do like his artwork but I didn't think this had any of the grandeur that other artists have brought to bear when drawing Galactus. Now, I know this is a horror comic, not a sci-fi comic, but any time the Surfer or Galactus appears, I, I feel there should be an epic scope to the images, some sense of awe. Kirby had it, so did Byrne, so did Buscema, so does Alex Ross. Sean Phillips doesn't, because Sean Phillips isn't this kind He's a of artist. Yeah, he's a street-level crime noir artist, exactly right. His strengths lie in depicting seedy alleyways and bars and strip joints, not cosmic spectacles. He's very good at his horror as well. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand of that, he's he's doing very cosmic horror as well, because Fatal's being Lovecraft at the moment. But he's not doing Galactus. Yeah. Galactus is big, epic, grand sci-fi. This has a Jerry Goldsmith score. You should look at this and you you draw jobs at how awesome it is. But then, Alex Ross is a grounded artist as well. But Alex Ross can pull out grandeur when he needs to. Yeah. John Buscema is an excellent street-level artist. Look at his Conan stuff. When we flipped through Conan Volume 2 the other week, the first thing you said was, ooh, look at that art. Mm. But when he drew Galactus, you bought it. Yeah. Totally. Um, I just felt the work here came across as muddy and not particularly suited to this project. This isn't me dissing on Sean Phillips as an artist, because I love the guy. I think he's fantastic. I don't think he suits the Galactus portions of this. Everything else is okay, Yeah. but the Galactus stuff I just didn't buy. I mean, I, I'm willing to acknowledge it's just me, but... I didn't look at that page and think, wow, Galactus is being kick-ass. Yeah. I looked at that page and thought, oh, that's a bit dark. Mm. Turn the brightness up, dude. But, you know, whatever. You liked it. Yeah, I, I, I liked his Galactus stuff because I did feel like he was pretty big. Well, I'm not saying he's not big. 
Oh, yeah. I'm just... I don't know. There's Compared something... to Tony Stark. Yeah. I mean, he's even doing Kirby dots. Yeah. So, fair play to him. He's trying. But it's just not working for me. But, you know, like I said, probably it may work for other people. Just me. There's me all on my own again, <laughs> over on the island, going, ah, I'm over here, guys, and everyone else has gone, no, no, we're going this way. Yeah. Situation, normal. Uh, the fight over the next few pages is fine, it does its job, but it's the panther scenes that are really the best bits in this issue. The panther is still more than a capable combatant, even with an arm and a foot missing, and he's more than willing to defend himself when attacked by the asteroid M inhabitants who've just shown up. His loyalty to the decapitated head of Janet Van Dyne seems a little misplaced, and there's an unintentionally hilarious line when he gets to the asteroid and hands her over for experimentation, where they actually say that they're looking to cure her. How's that going to work then, Ted? She's a head! Oh, we've cured her. Oh, she's dead. <laughs> How are they going to cure that? Yeah. So, to be up for her, they do actually come up with something. Yeah. In the, in the last page of the issue. They do also bring up the point that because she's just ahead, the hunger is all in her head. Yeah, because she's got no digestive system or stomach. What is she eating for? Surely she'd just eat it and it'd just plop out of her neck, she wouldn't it? So she can eat it again like the other zombies. That do. would just be awful. That that, just, have you, have yeah. you noticed she can't be on Asteroid M if you don't have red hair? Yeah, everyone seems to be ginger yeah. on Asteroid M, which is fine. Yeah. I don't know. We're not about the persecution of the ginger people. Or maybe the persecution has led to Asteroid M being full of them. <laughs> <laughs> they've just been breeding amongst themselves, is that what you're saying? All right, for a nation of freckled ginger people that don't like going out in the sun. <laughs> a nation of Scottish people. <laughs> Spider-Man and Luke Cage play cards. Whilst the brains of the Marvel Universe, Tony Stark and Hank Pym, try to work out how to stop Galactus. And whilst playing Spider-Man... Wines. Now, I've already mentioned that the characterisation is off on everybody, something that could be put down to the zombified state of the leads. If Kirkman hadn't already established that they had retained the, cur- the sorry, the core personality traits. So, number one, Peter Parker is a scientific genius and should be in there with them, secret ID be damned, and B, Peter is often burdened with self-reflection and guilt. It's only in the hands of lesser writers that he's portrayed as a whiner. I hate to call Kirkman a lesser writer, because right. he is comics darling at the moment. Yeah. But his handling of Spider-Man in this story is way off base. And I'm glad he never wrote a proper Spider-Man well, story. When Luke Cage says, why do you still wear the mask? Because, you know, I just said, why do you still wear the tiara? <laughs> you don't need it anymore. Why does Colonel America wear his mask? Why does Iron Man wear his helmet? Why does Giant Man wear his mask? You know, that makes perfect sense, yeah. yeah. I didn't even think about that. Well, yeah, you're right. Why do the rest of them still wear the masks? Yeah. I mean, at least Iron Man takes his offer now and again, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Or he, he lifts so the, Giant Man, the face yeah. plate up or something. Yeah. But no, you're right. Uh, why is he picking on Spider-Man? All right. The gross-out scenes in this issue are present and correct and funny, with Banner eating bits of what he's just eaten by tearing them out from his own body and then eating them again. Clever. Yeah. Oh, gross. Yeah, well, Colonel America thinks that and then goes, oh, all right, then go on, I'll give it a go. <laughs> like he was just like, give me a knife. Yeah, oh, that's actually not too bad. <laughs> just, that was the grossest bit. I, I do like the science bits in it, like earlier when Daredevil's swelling in his legs and Jack was like oh the blood's fell to your legs <laughs> yeah he has actually thought about the science bit yeah of some of it but other bits he's just gone nah I'm not going to pay any attention to that we'll just move on yeah I don't want to explain that 
the villains show up on the, the end of the issue, other than Magneto and the Vulture, I was wondering where they all were, but here we get Dr. Octopus and Red Skull, and who else is there, the Green Goblins there, and the Lizard, and the Stilt Man, and the Super Skrull, yeah. and the Rhino, and Venom, what the hell was the Super Skrull doing on Earth? He thought, you know what, let's give it a visit. Alright, fair enough. And then, and then when he was a zombie lying on the floor with his legs missing, thought, what a great time for a holiday. <laughs> what a bad idea, this one. <laughs> yeah. I should now have picked today to give up smoking. Come to Atlanta, they said. <laughs> have a good time, they said. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce Willis and Diane. Come out the curse, we'll have a few laughs. What a brilliant idea that was. Panther's delight at meeting Forge makes perfect sense, given Forge's bionic limb replacement ability, which I loved. Yeah. That made perfect sense. I was down with that. Again, page one could be excised, as we've mentioned, but it's really the only part of this issue that could. The story, such as it is, does kick in a bit here, so there seems to be more dialogue and forward momentum. Finally, after four issues of gross out and eating people's brains. I have many problems with how Spider-Man is being portrayed, even in this alternate universe zombified reality, but the introduction of the inhabitants of Asteroid M finally means there's a little bit more to chew on here than just the character's constant need for hunger, which has been the sole driving force so far, and the introduction of Galactus ups the threat level considerably. I still want him to win, though, and give this series, you know, a definitive end. Knowing the many, 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 many sequels that followed, I don't think I'm going to get that wish. Well, you might. Well, eventually. No, After 16 sequels. No. The, there's, it's got his own stories now. How so, do you mean? Um, Kirkman's stuff, yeah. which is this, yeah. has an end. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, good. Fair enough. You'll have to tell me what that is when we get to the end. Okay. Uh, issue 5, the original cover is a pastiche of Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 1. No, it's not. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 21, I do apologise. The variant cover of Spider-Man marrying Mary Jane, as opposed to the original cover of Peter marrying Mary Jane, originally by John Romita Sr. Mary Jane's dead, and not a zombie. Yeah, I kind of like that. As gross it is. Yeah, it's, it's a lot gross. Spider-Man's just taking a chunk out of her. I do like that the human torch is just flying skeleton. Yeah. That amused me, but other than other than that, that, that one doesn't really work for me. It's just... There's nothing new to it, is there? There's not, it's not like the X-Men one, which was funny. Yeah. Or the Green Goblin one with the fork in his hand, which was a funny pastiche. The variant is a spoof on Silver Surfer 1 from 1968, originally by John Buscema in this one. The Silver Surfer is holding his own head. Alright. It's a nice painting if you take the surfer out of it. Yeah, it's a lovely painting of, uh, of the earth. Yeah. And the space. Take the silver surfer off and it's, it's pretty damn good, yeah. No problem with that. Tell us about the issue. As Galactus falls, the villains rush in to eat him, but having shot him down, the cosmic zombies think they should eat him instead. <laughs> the two groups fight, but as Colonel America has the upper hand on the Red Skull, Skull scoops Colonel's brains out, killing him. Had enough with the fighting, the group then makes short work out of the villains. The zombies then climb onto the fallen Galactus and have a feast of a lifetime. <laughs> Five years later, the crew of Asteroid M descend. Black Panther's redhead love interest is now his wife and is carrying his baby, and the Wasp has a new robotic body. The crew discover that the entire planet is empty, which means the zombies must have left, but to where? Elsewhere, on a distant planet, a king puts his daughter to bed as his servant tells him that Galactus has arrived. What he doesn't know, however, is that there's five of them. 
Dun, dun, dun. I had a, a little bit of a problem with the opening scene of did this you? issue. Yes, yes, I did. It's been established in the Fantastic Four, right? Yeah. Uh, the issues with Terex, I think they're around issue 242. Right. Or somewhere around that region. That Galactus, in addition to imbuing his choices with the power cosmic, can also take back the power cosmic if he so desires. So, do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Why in this story does Galactus faff around going toe-to-toe with the zombified heroes and villains, even the cosmically enhanced ones? Why does he not simply just draw back the power cosmic into himself, rendering them back at regular power levels, and then take himself to the middle of an ocean somewhere, hover above the ocean, and then assemble his planet-eating devices? I mean, yes, again... He would have a few zombies to deal with, Thor, the Vulture, and anyone else who can well, fly. They're, they're all dead now. Yeah, but it seems to me that anyone who can do that, he can just blast them into tiny pieces. Undead or not, they're not a threat to him if they're tiny pieces on the floor of the ocean. Well, feel free to say it with me now. Okay. Because I said so. <laughs> uh, again, Kirkman has to make his story work. Yeah. So it, it becomes the because I say so school of storytelling. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Do you know, as parents, we always say, we will never say that. We will never say because I say so. And eventually you get your kids that will get you to the point where you go, just do it! Because I said so! That, that's Kirkman now. After that's all, Kirkman. Yeah, after all the complaints. Yes, yes. All right, fair enough. I just thought that was... It's, it's a valid point if you know that, but I think knowing that hinders it. What, knowing that Galactus yeah. can do that destroys the story? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I didn't so know it's that. my fault. It is, it's your it's fault. Not you read for having I'll read previous comics. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that, it was fine for me. Oh, fair enough. How stupid I am. This is my fault that the story doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, I'm the dumb one. <laughs> Alright, fair enough. Again, there's some lovely black comedy here. Rhino asking for dibs on Galactus's eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> Colonel America casually blasting off Mole Man's head was likewise hysterical. The Mole Man says, you're going to have to fight us for it. And Colonel America goes with pleasure and blows his head off by pointing at him. Mm-hmm. Very funny. Very, very funny. Uh, the skull thinks... It's all worth it after the Red Skull casually scoops Colonel America's brains out of his exposed head, killing him. So he does render him dead at that point. And then he gets decapitated by Spider-Man and has his head stood on by Giant Man. But it was all worth it. He finally beats Colonel America. So he's down with that. I like the Eddie Brock scene as well. Yeah, the Eddie Brock scene is is really good. He's not... is Is he a zombie or is he dead? The symbiote's already dying. I was no longer a suitable host. That's all it says, and Spider-Man's all right, my heart bleeds. Because I took it as he's a regular person trapped inside the symbiote, but then why does he want to eat people, and why has he got the teeth? Well, again, if you're going to analyse it from knowing past stuff, which has been established, it's my fault, (laughs) Venom wouldn't have any interest in a dead Eddie Brock. Venom is, is organic, and a symbiote, he has to attach himself to an organic living matter. So he wouldn't even be attached to Eddie at this point because Eddie's a zombie and therefore dead. So that doesn't make any sense either. But obviously I'll buy that that's my fault as well (laughs) because I know previous stuff. 
it is nice that when the zombified heroes eat Galactus, the power cosmic kitted our heroes out with nice new duds. I, I took it more as they scavenged him. But they've all got nice clothes. Yeah. At the end. Where did they get them from? They just scavenged them. There's a tailor out there somewhere, is there? Yeah. That outfits them all with Galactus-style well, duds. Well, they won't last for long. If you read the sequel. Alright, well I have never read the sequel so you can elaborate upon that when we finish discussing this. Um, Again, the moving around of a few word balloons could remove two pages from this issue and the two page spread at the end of the Alien Planet could be chopped without ruining the ending giving a total of 11 or so superfluous pages which is half an issue. It's not as many as I thought but still more than I would like but at a script level you could make these four issues easy Hmm. and not miss anything. Stan could do it in an issue. Stan could do it in one issue, yeah. Well, that's ultimately my thinking about it. The finale to the story seems to want to pull off this Twilight Zone-style twist ending. And it kind of manages to pull this off, keeping the resolution for the Galactus plotline a secret by cutting away at a crucial moment where the zombie heroes attack Galactus and chow down, leading the reader to think it's possible Galactus survived or a zombified version of Galactus survived anyway. The ending, when it comes, is also neat in that it cuts to five years later, and we see T'Challa has added a few bionic limbs and has knocked somebody up on the ship. They've also managed to create an exoskeleton for the Wasp. It's a satisfying conclusion to what is a high concept in search of a story, and ultimately, after reading it, I was left with the same feeling I had when I first read it, that there is simply not enough story here for five issues. It's why I've never bothered reading any of the sequels, even though you've got them all, haven't you? More or less, You've yeah. more or less got all of these on your bookshelf. I think it's a decent idea for a 35-page what-if. It's a good idea for an annual or an Ultimate Universe special. It's a concept that seems intriguing, but the pace is glacial in places, and there's never a feeling of forward momentum. Hmm. There's not really a lot of excitement or any kind of ticking clock that forces the action forward. There's, there's lip service paid to the idea that they're running out of people to eat. Yeah. But that in and of itself doesn't make, doesn't propel the story forward. The characters aren't interested enough in forcing themselves into action. They're all very lackadaisical, aren't they? Oh, well, whatever. We'll find something to eat. Yeah. Doesn't matter, really. There's only Giant Man who seems interested in doing something about it, and that's only because he's eating Black Panther. Yeah. So he's all right. The black humour is funny but I didn't feel was sometimes black enough the gross out moments got to the point where they were gross enough there's nothing here on the level of Robert Rodriguez's machete which we watched the other day which has gross out moments and black humour aplenty that bit where he cuts the guy open pulls his intestines out of his stomach (laughs) then jumps jumps out of the window window, and swings on them into the window like in Die Hard was hysterically funny (laughs) and I didn't feel there was anything on that level in this Yeah. now it is possible Marvel wouldn't let him go that far because it is still a Marvel comic it's not a Max imprint yeah it is still a Marvel comic and he still gets away with a enough amount, yeah. yeah but if you're gonna do it do it if you're gonna go balls out go balls out well yeah is my opinion I was reading this at 11 though so yeah we'll see that maybe that's why you enjoyed it a lot more that time around I'm gonna I'm interested in what you thought of it now uh, the fact that the zombie heroes are pretty much unkillable removes any dramatic tension given that they're the primary characters. Starting the story with everyone already zombified, I thought was a huge dramatic misstep. 
but like you say, he inherited this. This is yeah. how Mark Miller left and it. And he, he did do the prequel Dead Days. Robert Kirkman did. And Phillips, yeah. Right. Okay, fair enough. Alright, okay. Like so this was phenomenally successful, so, you know, I don't know anything. Yeah. What did you think of it? Um, I, I really enjoyed it the first time I read it. I read it an awful lot. This this hardback's quite damaged in places. Yeah, but comics and books should look like this, dude. Yeah. They um, should look like you've read them. And it is nice having my collection. Of all six of them, or five of them, or whatever the hell you've ended up with. Yeah, but I prefer the Van Lente stuff, because it's more fun, and there is, there is a definite story behind it. Um... This Kirkman stuff was very serious, especially Marvel Zombies 2. It was very, very serious. Was it? Yeah. Okay. But I, I still liked it just because I liked it as a kid. I liked it. I didn't think it was a story. I, I do think it was very padded, I agree with the things you say, but I... I but it's still fun. Yeah. That's, you know... And sometimes that's, that's good. That's good enough. And unlike Maximum Carnage, it was, it was <laughs> it's, it's, it's good when you're older. Yes, all right. Fair enough. Okay, all right. Uh, after this, Miller would pick up on the zombie FF in his ultimate fantastic run with uh, the Fantastic Four breaking out of their imprisonment, but ultimately Yay. being brought down. In Fantastic Four 27-30, the FF, consisting of Ben, Johnny Storm and the Black Panther, find themselves on a Skrull planet, just as it's attacked by the Galactus Zombies. Kirkman and Phillips would return for Marvel Zombies 2, picking up in the future, set up at the end of 1. Um, which would be... Do you want to know what that's about? Yeah, go on. The zombies have... Um, eaten the entire universe. Right. As Galactuses. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing left to eat. The Galactus stuff's all broken up, so they have different body parts attached to them. Um, and someone has the bright idea of going back to the Baxter building because they have a alternate universe teleporter thing. Mm-hmm. So they go back to the alternate universe, and the Asteroid M people have made their own little civilization. On Asteroid M? No, on Earth. On Earth. Uh, now, because there are zombies inside Asteroid M, and now there's some on the outside, conflict happens. Right. Okay. And at the end, something happens which leads into Marvel Zombies Return, which is the definitive end of the cosmic zombies. And is that Kirkman's? That's Van Lente. Right, so Kirkman didn't finish the story? No, he well, had a cliffhanger, really. Right, and went off to do The Walking Dead and make his own money. Yeah. Which is fair enough. Uh, Return is quite good. It's made up of five um, standalone issues right. that have the zombies in well-known Marvel comic stories. That's so right. Iron Man goes back to a Lee Ramita issue. Right. Iron Man goes back to Demon in a Bottle. They don't use the old art, uh, like that issue of Deadpool did. Some did. Um, whoever did the Spider-Man one did a good job of mimicking it. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Van, Fred Van Lente would take over with three, which focused on the Machine Man, which is very good. Because um, he goes in to find a cure, right? What machine man does? Yeah, and because presumably a machine can't be made into a zombie. No, they have this. Um, there's still it's kind of like Shield. It's mm. called Argus, right? And there's survivors there, right? And they go in to look for a cure for it, right? I'm not sure what the chronology of of it is. Is this Zombies Three or Four? Three, right? So he goes in to look for the cure because he's a machine man. He can't get infected, uh, and then. 
issue f- uh, volume four, right. which focuses on the Midnight Suns. Right. So is this the one that you're on about where it's the man thing and all that? Yeah. Um, something happens though. Like, <laughs> he, I would imagine something does. Something like Machine Man doesn't find the cure, so they send the Midnight Suns in. Right. Okay. Um, and then Marvel Zombies Return, which tells the last story of the Cosmic Zombies, set after or before Marvel Zombies 2. Alright. Marvel will then cross them uh, over into another what-if type story, Marvel Apes. Right. With Marvel Zombies Evil Evolution. I have that. It's a one-shot. Never actually read it, though. Oh, alright. Why have you never read it? I, I, I couldn't bring myself to. Oh, okay. I'll be honest. A Deadpool Merc with a Mouse ran out of four, but that got way out of hand. It's Deadpool. The zombie Deadpool head in Volume 4 ends up in our dimension where our Deadpool finds it and then the Deadpool core show up and then Liffield joins the book and then there's this Deadpool core and then they all have their own individual series. The Deadpool core do? Yeah. And the Deadpool decapitated zombie head? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, and then there was Marvel Zombies 5, which focused on Morbius, Machine Man, and Howard the Duck is a direct sequel. Right. Marvel Zombie Supreme is about the Zombie Squadron <laughs> Supreme. And Marvel Zombies Destroy is about Dum Dum Dugan and Howard the Duck fighting in a world where the Nazis won World War Two with zombies. <laughs> have they not done Marvel Zombies milking it for all it's worth? Have they not done that one yet? I, I don't think they have yet. Have they not done Marvel Zombies screwing this concept until it's completely burnt? Marvel cash cows. <laughs> with the zombies. Scrolls, the scrolls of the cows. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Well, um, yes. So the, the story carried on. Uh, yeah. I, never but I do believe there was a Halloween special by Van Lente last year. And has that not been in a trade somewhere? Because it was just a one-off. Yeah. I don't think it was. Okay. Well, we hope that you lovely listeners enjoyed this troll through Marvel Zombies, which we're going to call our blatant cashing on the zombie phenomenon. <laughs> a little bit late, possibly. A little bit late. A little bit late. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, we continue in the horror vein with a look at something else we knew jack all about until we read them. Yeah. EC Comics. Tales from the Crypt and various others. Crime suspense stories, Vault of Horror. We're covering an issue of each. Mm-hmm. Purely at random. So we're going to give that a go well, next week. Well, you looked at the list. I did. I looked at the list of what I considered the top best stories EC ever did. And yeah. I had a look at what we've got. And I thought, we'll have that, we'll have that, we'll have that, we'll have that. That's the last one. We'll have that, we'll have that. Mm-hmm. And I picked it from that list. So... It's real scientific. It is, yeah. How this show works. I basically, I printed the list out and I got a pen and I closed my eyes and I went, <laughs> Grand National. We'll have that one. Yeah. <laughs> How you put your horse for the Grand National, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see you next week with our look at EC Comics. We hope you'll enjoy that because I've enjoyed reading them. Although we've not recorded the episode yet. Yes. And we will see you next week for more horror. Yeah. Which is quite fun. And crime. Yes. Bye-bye. Goodbye.
Kitts comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Last night I dreamt That somebody loved me No hope, no harm Just another false alarm Last night I felt Real arms around me No hope, no harm Just another false alarm